You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for tuning in. The Dump Trump campaign is over as organized struggled to gain significant momentum at the Republican convention's rules setting last week. It appears there won't be smoke and mirrors or significant backroom dealings this week with the nomination process, but the convention certainly could still be memorable. But is this the most exciting or strange convention in the modern era, or are we just seeing a continuation of the regular political hijinks that unfold every four years? Here to unpack that with me are Chuck Wilbur, former WDET News Director and longtime political consultant, and Patricia Monomurray, a former reporter with the Detroit Free Press. Guys, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Yeah. Thanks for so, having uh, us. of course, I've got you here because you have uh, seen many conventions, uh, covered, I, I assume, a few. Uh, talk about uh, this convention in the context of the others you've seen. Uh, I'll talk. I'll start with you, Penny. Hi. Um, I've uh, I've covered conventions in '92, '88, and uh, '84, and actually, we know. Um, more going into some, this convention than some of those previous conventions. Right. Um, in, uh, in 1988 at the Republican convention, we didn't know until uh, a gathering in the gathering in New Orleans, and I believe it was on a sh- on a riverboat that uh, <laughs> President then Vice President George uh, H. Herbert Walker Bush announced that Dan Quayle would be his his candidate his vice for president. Vi- vice president. Yeah. So that was a big surprise. That hadn't been talked about much before that and uh so that that was an issue and even um in that same year 1988 at the democratic national convention the um it was sort of a foreshadowing of what we've we, the campaign this year between bernie sanders and hillary clinton because um delegates for jesse jackson and jesse jackson had won the michigan um primary yep. uh they were contesting uh some of the rules and the use of super delegates and how michigan delegates were seated and picked at the Democratic National Convention that year in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, uh, these are the kinds of things that that go on pretty frequently with some regularity, I guess, uh, or they used to at, at conventions. They they weren't always the sort of buttoned-up uh, shows that we've seen in in recent years. That is very much the case, and uh, and and there's always there was you know there was there there always are surprises sometimes just on the local level with Michigan delegates and and people um, who are t- attending there. I mean, I remember in 1984, in, uh, there was the Democratic convention in San Francisco, and that was the Walter Mondale ticket and and Geraldine Ferraro, uh-huh. who was picked as the first female of a major party ticket. But during that convention, the um, the Catholic Cardinal of Detroit, then um, it was Cardinal Edmund Shaka, he banned a priest, a Catholic priest who was a delegate to the convention, and I believe that he was a delegate for uh, then Senator Gary Hart, and he told him, "You cannot participate in this convention. If you lose, if you," um, and he ban- he he uh, sanctioned him. He told him, "You can't." practice as a priest as long as you're a delegate as long as you're a to delegate. The, as long as you're a delegate to the convention because the year before um pope john paul ii said no you know no priest can be 
active in government yeah. like that. Yeah. So that you know that was a, a, a bit of drama <laughs> even deal, during right? that week. Yeah, <laughs> he's now he's now a priest in good standing and still practices in the Detroit, still ministers in the Detroit area. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Wilbur, uh, former WDET news director, longtime political consultant, you. Of course, have uh, been at many of these conventions, I know, and, and watched them for a long time. Put this this week in the context of those others. Well, actually, this one, Stephen, takes me back to my earliest convention memory, as not as a reporter or an activist, but as a precocious 11-year-old. <laughs> uh, when I watched the Republican convention in 1964, when, of course, the conservative movement led by Barry Goldwater kind of displaced the hierarchy of the party. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not sure I completely appreciated it as an 11-year-old, but I have this really etched memory of the conflict on the floor of the convention. And at one point in covering that conflict, John Chancellor, who some of you will remember from his NBC News (laughs) days, us old-timers, John Chancellor had the greatest uh, sign-off on a story I think I've ever seen in the disturbance because he was literally escorted off the floor and out-cued his story by saying, this is John Chancellor somewhere in custody. (laughs) And that memory has stayed with me since 1964. And I, I think you have to almost go back that far to find something where one party's orthodoxy has been displaced in one fell swoop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about what you guys expect to see this week. I mean, because conventions have become these really buttoned-up events and there isn't a lot of uh, permission even for for dissent, uh, you know, the, the, the rancor that we've seen over Donald Trump seems like it will be tamped down this week just by force and force of structure almost. Yeah, go ahead, Patricia. Well, absolutely. Uh, You know, with the... I, as, as we were preparing for the show, I, uh, I understand that Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly just addressed the Republican convention um, as, it, as it gets underway. And, and, you know, you're falling into some scripts now and, and what, you know, um, people have messages they want to give. And if they're chosen as, as speakers at this convention, uh, sometimes they're touting they're all, they're touting the candidate as much as they're touting their own um, political accomplishments and aspirations going forward. Um, you know, Trump is such a wild card, though, compared to, to past candidates and past conventions and past campaigns. And, um, you know, he's not he's uh, he's very comfortable in the spotlight. He ha- he'll have an audience like he's never had before. And uh, anything, anything is possible. Yeah. The, I, I keep thinking about what the speech he is going to give uh, is going to look like. I mean, we are really accustomed to that speech looking a certain way, feeling a certain way mm-hmm. from candidates. I don't think we're going to recognize any of it when he when he gets up there. Well, it's interesting. I think there's an attempt being made to kind of normalize Donald Trump during this week. And I by don't, I, attempt by the people handling him? By handling him and handling the convention. I mean, the, the real story of this convention, I think, is that the Republican Party is making a departure even from its own history. I mean, Stephen, you've done a good job of explaining the dog whistle phenomena of appeals <laughs> to racial politics. But this isn't a, a dog whistle. This is a foghorn. Right. Right. Uh, right. In terms of Trump organizing a campaign around rhetoric that his own party leaders have had the label as racist. Sure. Sure. And that's that is a departure. And the attempt to then normalize that and say that's a normal part of the American political process is the challenge that's fallen to people like Reince Priebus and 
Paul Ryan and others who have to put a veneer over this convention to say, no, 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 this is just another convention. Right. There's nothing to see here, right? Don't, yeah. look, don't look behind the and curtain. I, and I think, you know, the, the real story of the convention may be what's not happening at the convention, the, the silent boycott by so many party leaders. Yeah. I mean, the, the people yes. who are not there in Cleveland, just watching on television, uh, you know, the the it's almost like they're struggling to come up with things that that will excite people enough to watch uh, because you don't have you don't have any of the other candidates other than T- Ted Cruz I think uh, speaking this week you don't have uh, uh, you know uh, George H uh, George W Bush uh, is not scheduled to to, to come uh, this really will not be the, the the sort of typical lineup even uh, that we see at conventions um, one of the f- one of the fun and interesting parts of uh, covering conventions was just watching which speech would catch on fire too, you know, which speech would really command and um, the audience both on the convention floor and at home. And um, it was a privilege to watch some of, you know, be in, in the convention hall to to see these some of these speeches in person. And there's lots of memorable speeches. Um, uh, 1988, you know, when uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was running. He gave the um, read my lips, no new taxes right. speech. Okay. And uh, it was, uh, it, you know, it just electrified the crowd. Um, Came back to haunt him. It but, did. Yeah. It <laughs> became <laughs> the read my lips, no second term speech. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. And, um, but, you know, there was Jesse Jackson's speech at the 1988 uh Democratic convention, which was uh, he, he brought Rosa Parks on stage sure. and he spoke of, you know, Detroit civil rights uh, martyrs, Viola Liuzzo, Liuzzo and uh, very, very affecting speeches. I was in the auditorium in uh, 1984 when Mario Cuomo gave a speech um, uh, challenging uh, President Reagan's uh, depiction of America as a shining uh, city on a hill. And he yeah. he just. It was probably the best speech of his career. And then 84 was also memorable because of Geraldine Ferraro. Right. And, you know, I remember thinking at that time, this means every election from here on in is going to have a woman we'll have on the candidate. We'll yeah. have a woman on the candidate. And, you know. This is the first time. Well, since, 2008 right? was Sarah, oh, Sarah Palin. Palin, Palin, right. Sarah Palin. I always but, forget that. But it went like... from, you know, 84 <laughs> to 2008. And and for, there wasn't a dry eye in the house when Ferraro, Ferraro made her uh, acceptance speech, regardless yeah. of you know your political aspirations or affiliations. And uh, and it was it was a movie moment for the Michigan delegation too, because the the woman who seconded uh, Ferraro's nomination was a Michigan Board of Education member, Barbara Mason. Oh, I did and, not know um, that. And then also it was also Millie Jeffrey, a longtime you know labor rights activist in, and Democratic Party activist in Detroit. She um, was also lauded at that convention because she helped, um, you know, women's rights in that party for so long. And yeah. everybody looked to her as a champion, you know, yeah. who made Geraldine Ferraro's nomination yeah. possible. So it was a it was, and, and the Detroit delegation in 88 at the Demo, in 84 at the Democratic convention, they stayed in the same hotel with uh, <laughs> Mondale and Ferraro. They had uh, cool. prime seats and uh, prime. Uh, yeah hospitality there. All right. Patricia Montemurray, former reporter with the Detroit Free Press. Chuck Wilbur, former WDET News Director, longtime political consultant. Thanks for being here. I should note, Chuck is going to co-host Detroit Today Wednesday and Thursday and Friday of this week while I am out, so you'll hear a lot more from that's him. Great. Uh, that's great it for me. You. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. We'll see you tomorrow.